Hello and welcome to Not Compliant Enough. This is episode 16 and I am your podcast host, Carista, and today we are getting into the spicy topic. Um, There's a saying that used to be um, put on the wall in this cafe that I used to work at and it said, let them hate so long as they fear. And the really interesting thing about that is on reflection of, of, you know, thinking about um, that place that I worked and, and sort of the type of place that it was. Like if you can imagine um, the Seinfeld episode with Elaine and she goes into the, the soup kitchen and he's like, no soup for you. That was literally the place that I worked in. Um, it was this very gregarious, um, very charismatic Roman man, Roman Italian man who'd come out from Italy and his thing was basically like what we serve here is what we serve, like nothing, you know, we don't do anything that's off the menu, like that's it. You get what you get and um, if you don't like it, go somewhere else. And the interesting thing about that as well is like people used to come in to literally be told what to eat because then they wouldn't actually have to make any decisions. And I think so much of our society has gotten to this point where we just want answers. We just want someone to tell us what to do because we've almost been conditioned into being told what to do, um, into outsourcing our, you know, our inherent knowing, into outsourcing what we know in ourselves, you know, what feels right, what doesn't feel right. Like we squash all of those um we squash all of that to allow other people to kind of tell us what to do. And all of the institutions and systems that we have are set up to reinforce that belief as well. So um, in the episode that I interviewed Sarah Baeda, we talked about like the education system and things like that. And since then, I've actually read this book called Who Gets to Be Smart by Brie Lee. Um, it's an incredible book. I highly recommend taking a look at it. But in there, she actually unpacks the disparity and the um, inequity of education Um but also the various levels of it. She even talks to this guy who shows the comparisons between like the um, the education system. So like, you know, going and doing a PhD and shows the comparisons between that and, you know, a um, refugee in prison on Manus Island. Um, and it kind of goes into a lot of the history of how, our systems are set up and what we actually value and how education is seen as this like powerful thing in that those that are educated are the ones that have the voice. Those that are educated are the ones that get to set the tone and, and get to really kind of navigate a lot of these systems and actually create them to sort to suit themselves as opposed to being inclusive and actually like inviting other people in that maybe haven't had a university degree who have, you know, um, a whole swag of common sense, but they are not included in a lot of these conversations. And that's where so much of our policies and our systems and our institutions really fail because we've set them up on the advice of certain people and, the advice and the data and all of the things. Now, data is one of those things that can be easily manipulated. You know, you can tell a story about data however you'd like to. And this is where we've forgotten to be how 
we've forgotten how we can be a bit more discerning and actually like interrogate some of that information a lot better. Like, you know, everyone wants to have a stat and they want to have, you know, fun facts and things like that. And they can come out and spruik all these things and, you know, that reinforces their message. Um, and you read article after article that does that, you know, everything's based on a survey or everything's based on some scientific research or something that's happened multiple you know, years ago that is taken out as, you know, as gospel. And what we're losing in so much of that is that we are creating this world of fear and, you know, let them hate so long as they fear. So many of our institutions and our workplaces are set up in that way. Um, These cultures of silence are proliferated out of fear people are too fearful to speak up and those that are the ones in power, the ones that have the voice um, and those, the ones that are at the top of the, the pyramid of the hierarchy are the ones that are setting the tone. They're the ones that have the voice. They're the ones that are sitting in rooms with people who are reinforcing their view because those people are too afraid to speak out in a different way or to question that. And, our institutions and systems and workplaces and, you know, however you want to call it, are severely diminished by the fact that we don't have true diversity because we have these diversity and inclusion, you know, committees that aren't even diverse in themselves. So how can these people even begin to understand what it means to be in a world that they're constantly being scrutinised or excluded or any of these things? You know, you can't just have the token people on these um, on these boards or in these committees and say, oh, look how diverse we are. You know, we've got, we've got all these different people when you don't really. You don't. It's so much of it is just performative and we're seeing it now in like, you know, advertising campaigns and different um, social media, you know, campaigns and, and different things. You know, everyone wants to be diverse. They all want to be seen to be diverse, but so much of it is performative. And the thing is people can see through the bullshit of it being performative, but also these systems want a simple answer and there is no simple answer to a lot of this because it means having those hard conversations that no one wants to have. They just want these solutions. They want the answer. They want, you know, the pill that they can take or the band-aid that they can, um, you know, just go, oh yeah, like we're doing all of these things when in actual fact what's missing and this is where I've gone into this in previous episodes, but this is where the disconnect is because there is no meaningful communication. There's no meaningful listening. There's no hard conversations being had. And the thing is, what we're missing is that people refuse to have those hard conversations. They refuse to acknowledge what's actually going on. So for instance, in my recent dealings with Optus and the telecommunications ombudsman, you know, we have these systems like the telecommunications ombudsman is actually there to to mediate um, you having issues with your telco provider, right? So they're just purely a mediation system. The thing is that you can complain to them and that's fine and they hear both sides of the story and then they make a determination. 
But what's missing is that your telco is still not made accountable for the, the types of service that is provided, the types of things that they do, the gaslighting that happens. Like I was calling up Optus and getting a different story from every single person I spoke to them. They were blaming NBN. NBN was blaming Optus. This was this has been going on for like 12 months. And, you know, I understand why people give up because it is so soul-destroying. And then people tell you like, oh, but that's, that, that's not right. And they basically tell you that you're the issue that, you know, oh, it's your equipment or, you know, we don't do that. And there's this refusal of responsibility and there's this blame shifting that happens. And it's almost like that is the status quo of how so many of these systems and these institutions operate. You know, it's the same thing with any company that has bullying happening or, you know, you've got, people that are massively burnt out and all of these things that are going on and they refuse to look in the mirror and be like, you know what, we're actually part of the problem. Like what can we do as an organization to actually change that? And, you know, I don't actually blame the fact that I got told a different story from every single person that I called up at Optus, because that is a pure reflection of them as an organization being completely incoherent in their own messaging, in their own training for their staff, in the, in their own way that they operate, you know, it's, um, it basically got to a point where I was calling up to see what they were actually going to offer in terms of, you know, like fixing it and all the rest of it. And I was being bullied into taking a an offer. I was being told, oh, well, if you don't take this offer today, then it goes to the ombudsman's office and, and this offer's off the table, you know, and look, fair, fine. You know, if that's the, if that's what you've got in your scripts and that's what you're wanting to tell people, but also you're not giving, you're not allowing people enough time to actually take a minute and actually consider whether that offer is, you know, something that they're wanting to accept instead of bullying them into taking a position and, and giving them an answer straight away. You know, it's like having a dysfunctional relationship of being like, well, I'm going to leave you right now if you don't do this. And that's where we've gotten to the point with so many of these institutions and systems is that they're entirely dysfunctional and they're a reflection of how dysfunctional our society has become because we've gotten to this point where data and statistics are becoming more uh, coveted than actually having pure, meaningful conversations and really honouring where people are at. Um, you know, it's a two-way conversation and it's that dynamics of power too. You know, um, the really interesting thing about um, about. Bree Lee's book about who gets to be smart is she she really delves into this like power imbalance um and you know the power imbalance of like even as Australia was colonized um and look I know that there's people that are listeners that are not from Australia so you know this might not be as relevant to you but um I just kind of want to read a little bit of part of that. So she talks about, um, there's a really interesting thing that comes up and it's actually called, um, <clears throat> it's hierarchy. Now what that is, and 
you know, there's the um, very intellectual <laughs> explanation of it. So essentially um, she's talking to a a guy and she's asking him, you know, whether she should do her PhD or not. Um, and he actually says to her, um, you know, I would say that academica is second only to Manus Prison in terms of being the most violent and cruel institution I've ever encountered. And so he goes on to explain to her the concept of hierarchy, which is a way of thinking about and understanding the accumulation and exercise of power, particularly in institutions, which we can call hierarchical systems. And what that means is... um, well, I mean, she goes on to say that our institutions are, including our educational ones, uh, from the way Australians built and controlled Manus Prison is really um, quite, you know, they're quite similar sort of things. And the hierarchy is, so hierarchy is a term first introduced by radical feminist theologian Elizabeth Schulzer Forenza. And it purposely encompasses multiple interlocking kinds of stigmatization. The term also captures the way that the intersecting systems are perpetually reinforced and replicated. Um, and in Schulzer Ferenz's book, she goes on to explain that the word hierarchy is derived from the Greek words of lord or master, kyrios, and to rule or dominate. Archean and is best theorized as a complex uh, pyramidal system of intersecting multiplicative social structures of superordination and subordination, ordination of ruling and oppressing. So that's the very academic kind of way of it. But hierarchy is simply um, a powerful lens to look at society. And so it's a very interesting way of thinking about institutions and systems. And essentially it's about the pyramid and the top of the pyramid is about exclusivity. So the more people there are in the middle and lower sections of the pyramid, the higher the people at the top are elevated. Um, And our society is shaped in a way that only a few may ever reach the top. So these are direct um, kind of quotes from who gets to be smart Um, a little bit abbreviated, but kind of (laughs) straight out of the book. Um, And so the really interesting thing is that she goes on to say that the cognitive dissonance is astounding. People at the top of the pyramid carry on without needing to justify themselves. They look across and out over their domain and see the fact that they're thrones as the proof of their deserving. Rich people continue to believe poor people simply don't work hard. Men insist women are good at and choose different pursuits. Europeans arrived in Australia and took what they wanted and their democratically elected descendants still talk about their inherent cultural superiority. All the white, all the while, the people at the top dictate what legitimate knowledge looks and sounds like. And so in reading this book, it really goes into kind of give those different perspectives and how we actually see education and and power and how that all plays out. And the, there's a really um, 
like it's it's so beautifully written um I must say like it's incredibly written and I highly recommend going and reading it um Brie Lee talks about her friend who is a road scholar and you know part of the story is that she sees that as like the apex of you know academia and that's what she would have wanted to do and all the rest of it but when you unpack actually what goes on behind the scenes and this like incredibly incredible world that's almost created um and how you know these positions are so coveted and everything like that like it just reinforces certain ideas and ideals and I think what we're seeing particularly at the moment with workplaces and all of these sorts of things and these institutions and systems are you know they're incredibly outdated um I was listening to a podcast the other day. I can't recall the actual podcast, but it had Darren Murph from who used to be at GitLab. And he was talking about how workplaces haven't really evolved um, at this point in time. Like they're stuck in the fax machine stage. So like when the fax machines um, came in or, you know, it was like email coming in to replace fax machines and like people are still, you know, holding on to these fax machines for dear life. It's kind of like what's happening at the moment with all these workplaces trying to get people back into into offices um, because they're just not getting with the times. And, you know, we're seeing so much of this through fear and there is this kind of thing of like, you know, let them hate so long as they fear and it can be, you know, seen across so many of these different um, spectrums of institutions, workplaces, systems that we have, the way that our culture, you know, operates. And that is seen, you know, not just here in Australia, but it's it's like in so many parts of the world. Um, I mean, it's in stark contrast to like, you know, watching Ted Lasso where you've got a leader who is, ready to have those conversations he's there you know helping and championing and really nurturing that and having the tough conversations that aren't really nice to have but doing it in a way that's like really genuine and nice and you know genuinely caring about people um and so like you know he's like sign with believe in the in the locker room um it's in stark contrast to, you know, let them hate so long as they fear. And I think that if we can go from this this world of fear, um, which has been perpetuated and proliferated, particularly in the last couple of years, you know, people have been fearful to do so many things. Um, if we can go from fear into believing and actually championing people and actually, you know, unpacking some of these institutions and being like, you know what, this doesn't really work for us anymore. And we don't want to be exclusive and we don't want to only have these coveted positions. Like, you know, even when it comes to diversity and things like that, it goes from one extreme to the other. It's like, oh, we've got this exclusive club and now we're creating another exclusive club for those people that we think are disadvantaged or have been. And for the most part, they have been, but also at what cost does that come? Because then what you've got to put up your hand and be that person and be like, oh yeah, I was discriminated against and you know, this is me. And, and you get put into a box of like who it is that you are. Um, you know, is that even helpful? Like, does that really help people meaningfully or is it just them, you know, being put and stigmatized yet again, 
um, something that they've had to deal with their whole lives. Like, I know it's a very, you know, I can't speak to a lot of those things, but what I can speak to is the fact that, yes, I have red hair and yes, I have been bullied almost my whole life because of that, because I look different. Like it's not a regular thing here in Australia. I mean, you know, yes, there is other redheaded people around, but like, it's not like going to different parts of the world. Like, you know, I went to Ireland and I lived in Ireland and it felt like being home because there was actually more people with red hair around and it was a very normalized thing. Um, whereas, you know, growing up in Australia, I've have been incredibly bullied, like throughout school was um, excluded, you know, stigmatized, even in the workplace, even in the last few years, I had a particular boss who um, we were dealing with a board of people and a couple of people on that board also had red hair. And uh, this particular manager, um, you know, was turning around and, and being like, oh, these rangers are causing us issues and blah, blah, blah. Like, you know, and stigmatizing the people from how they, how they look. And these are things that you can't change. Um, and I think what we're seeing, particularly with like younger children, you know, and, and the younger generation is that there is more meaningful inclusion. And a lot of this stuff is being called out. Um, a lot of this kind of bullshit performatory um, platitudes is, is really seen through. And yeah, like hopefully we can shift our ways of um, institutions and the way that we set up systems so that they are more into helping people meaningfully as opposed to keeping them in this fear-based cycle of like, if you don't do this, then you don't get this. And really, you know, how damaging is that for people? Like, this is the thing, even with the latest stuff with, you know, Optus and the telecommunications ombudsman and stuff like that. Like I was saying to them, I'm like, you know, look, at the end of the day, I can't quantify the fact that I've had to spend almost 12 months trying to sort out something that should be seemingly quite simple, but because I've been told a different story from every single person that I spoke to, then I feel like I'm going crazy because I don't know what the truth is. Like, I don't know what the answer is because every time I call up, I get a different response. And it's almost like being gaslit constantly by a company, you know, and I think that so many places, workplaces particularly, that people work, they're constantly being gaslit as well. Um, and that comes around like mental health, it comes around like workplace well-being, it comes around workloads, you know, like there's a, a complete different contrast of like, you know, meaningfully changing things and then just saying that you're going to. And we see that so much. I mean, I can't even begin to unpack just how many times I've seen, you know, they'll get these um, inspirational speakers to come in and they're like, yeah, you've got to go do this and you've got to do that. And this is going to be amazing for you. But what they're not talking about is the elephant in the room, that the workloads don't stop, that the you know, demands and the 24-7 expectation of being available doesn't stop. And whilst, you know, work health and safety and particularly like in Australia, we do have 
um, you know, these psychosocial hazards that are now being a bit more, um, you know, talked about and things like that um, and where companies are needing to eliminate those psychosocial risks um, and, you know, there's still kind of the caveats in there where it sort of says, oh, but only where it's reasonably practicable. Well, what does that even mean? I mean, it either is or it isn't. And so, you know, when we talk about psychosocial risks and I'm just going to, so from Safe Work Australia, the way that they define psychosocial hazards is anything that you could, that could cause psychological harm. For example, harm, harming someone's mental health and common psychosocial hazards at work include job demands, low job control, poor support, lack of role clarity, poor organisational change management, inadequate reward and recognition, poor organisational justice, traumatic events or material, remote or isolated work, poor physical environment, violence and aggression, bullying, harassment, including sexual harassment and conflict or poor workplace relationships and interactions. And so, like, yes, those are psychosocial hazards you as an employee um, should not have to deal with because they can create stress. And obviously we know that stress can manifest as injuries and, you know, it can cause incredible harm. But also I think what we're not taking into account is the fact that, you know, what about you as an organisation causing psycho social stress and you know and these your these hazards are creating stress to you as a customer um as well you know like these these things like going through you know having to deal with being laughed at and being treated like you know you're an issue when you're merely just trying to sort out your own account and you know make a company accountable for the things that you're paying them to do. Um, And so I think there's a lot to be said about, you know, going from this fear base of like creating fear in people. And, you know, that comes not only for employees having these fear-based environments of like, you know, demands and and all the rest of it, all based off fear, Um, but also, you know, you're creating these fear-based environments for your customers and your client experience too, and whatever that looks like, you know. And so there are ways to have meaningful conversations. There are also ways to actually sort these things out in a much more comprehensive way. And it's actually not that fucking hard. Like that's the thing that annoys me the most. So much of this shit is so fucking simple. It's just that Everyone wants to outsource it. They don't want to deal with it themselves. Well, honey, let me tell you that it's time to fucking deal with it yourself because you can't outsource your relationships. You can't outsource your marriage. So you can't outsource your employee, um, your employee kind of environment. You can't outsource it. It's like trying to outsource your fucking values. And believe me, companies do that all the time. They get the consultants in to be like, okay, well, who are we as a company? Like, and what are our values and what is our vision and everything like that? And they don't include any of the employees in it. They just go get some consulting company to go create all the values. And then they come in and shove it down their throats and be like, oh, look, this is what we are. This is how we define ourselves. And you just have to either get on board or, or leave, you know, get on the train or, or you've missed it. You either get in 
or you're excluded. So yeah, like I could go on for hours, but honestly, I just think that we need to get to a point where we need to stop so much of this fear-based management and this fear-based operating. And we need to be you know, helping people to believe in themselves, to actually reinforce some of this self-confidence that all these fear-based environments have actually diminished for so long. And it's actually appalling and it's just, it's abhorrent, honestly. The things that I've witnessed and the things that I've seen and the stories that people have told me is just awful. And so, yeah, like if you're in that space, I see you and know that you're not alone. It's just that people aren't talking about it. And that's what I'm trying to do here is, is to help people, you know, feel a bit supported and feel like it's okay to talk about these things. Because at the end of the day, these companies that treat people in this way, they're not going to be around forever. We're seeing the change now, you know, and they either get on board now or then, or they literally not going to survive um, people are more discerning about where they want to work. They know what values are inherently. And so, you know, if you've got a choice between going to a company where it's like, let them hate so long as they fear, and we're just going to, you know, tell you everything. And if you've got the choice of going there or somewhere that people are meaningfully like helping and actually wanting to see you flourish and be your best self, then, you know, The choice is yours, but I know which one I'd prefer to do. So I hope you've enjoyed. Um, I just wanted to also let you know that I'm doing one-on-one holistic mentoring for people that are going through uh, these kind of adverse workplace situations or some big life changes. Um, Yeah, I've... I've been through a lot and as we go on, I'll probably share more of that, but yeah just know that you're not alone and you can get through it. And I know that it's incredibly fucking hard and it's so annoying when people say that to you because you're like, bitch, you've got no idea. Like I'm really fucking in it. Like you don't know this place is awful. And believe me, I was suicidal. I was, yeah, like it, it destroys you as a person, but there is a way out. And it's hard to see it right now, particularly with, you know, just the compounding effects of everything that's going on in the world. But if we've got companies that are actually more awake and able to, you know, sit back and be like, you know what, we actually do want to make a difference. And we do really give a fuck about people. We do care. And, you know, they're the sorts of companies that I want to see thrive. They're the sorts of places that I want people to, you know, get to and to be able to be like, you know what, like this is actually inclusive. People really care and we're here really making a difference. And so I hope this has helped. Um, You can like, follow, subscribe, do all of the things. You can find me on LinkedIn, on Instagram. Um, You can, you know, you're listening to this episode either on Spotify, Apple. If you'd also like to look at the video versions, you can check out my YouTube channel. Um, And yeah, I just hope that this helps and please know you're not alone and you're doing an incredible job. 
Thanks for listening.